These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties. But in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. In Spring Branch, we speak more than 145 different languages, and that diversity translates into a thriving economy. Our district's a melting pot. It's a great place to find the staff you need. Spring Branch is working for business. Yours. Find out more at spmd.org. Hi, and welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Rebecca Schutz, real estate reporter at the Houston Chronicle. Today I'm here with the Chronicle City Hall reporter, Dylan McGinnis, and one of our investigative reporters, Mike Morris. Hi, Dylan. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking the time to talk. I uh, recently took a vacation. I went away for a week and I turned off my email notifications and my social media notifications and went out of cell service. And um, just had a very calm and relaxing time and came back and realized that you guys had had a very busy week. Some real news had happened. Yeah, not calm and not relaxing. That's for sure. (laughs) So I pulled up Mike's tweet and I just want to read it to give you an idea of what we're talking about. The tweet reads, in case you missed it, the mayor directed city money to select housing developer against staff recommendations, a move that funds 274 fewer affordable units. So Houston's housing chief went public, denouncing the mayor's intervention and, uh, quote, do it because I say so culture. So, yeah, um, I realized I had a lot to catch up on, and I figured that some of our listeners might also appreciate getting caught up. So essentially what happened was that the, the city has federal money to spend disaster recovery funds after Hurricane Harvey. They have done two rounds of multifamily proposals that have awarded hundreds of millions of dollars to um, three dozen properties across the city to um, set aside, you know, affordable units in those buildings. The city pays people to do that. Often those projects also get what's called tax credits. They apply through the state. They make the financing work. They get some of that money. They get some city money. They build an apartment building with some, usually some market rate units and some affordable units. What happened here that the city housing director went public with his concerns over was that the city freed up uh, about $25 million to seek proposals for another set of apartment buildings that would have affordable units in them. The city housing department scored 12 proposals and it selected some And the mayor uh, intervened and directed that a majority of that money go to one development that scored by the housing staff and others, eight out of those 12 projects. And in the process, knocked out four projects that scored higher that would have created 274 additional affordable units for effectively the same money. So that, that's the long and the short of it. I mean, the, that's the, there's plenty of news value in that. There was some additional spectacle, I guess you could say, in the sense that the, the now former city housing director <laughs> decided to lay all this out in public at a city council housing committee meeting, uh, which is you know generally not how these things uh, happen, where somebody goes out in a blaze of glory, uh, knowing they'll be fired, and then is then fired. You know, for people who don't know how the city works, 
this person reports to the mayor, was hired by the mayor, calls out the mayor for doing this, and uh, is then, of course, fired. I guess just to recap, the city is subsidizing affordable housing. They look over all their proposals. Staff makes recommendations that would build more units of affordable housing, but the mayor gets the ultimate decision and he goes against staff recommendations. He chooses one project instead of four projects that would have, like you said, 274 fewer affordable units. And Houston's housing chief was so upset, he went out, guns blazing, in not just this city council meeting, but this city council committee. Were either of you guys at that meeting? Yes, I was at that meeting. It was a very chaotic scene, to say the least. City council committee meetings are often very sleepy affairs, and this one um, was anything but. None of the council members had advanced knowledge of what the director was going to do, so they were all sort of in shock. Um, And as he was sort of going through his allegations and laying out his timeline, he he had emailed council members like a 77-page packet of emails and memos and other documents to sort of support what he was saying. At the same time, you know, the streaming service the city uses to stream these meetings was faltering so people couldn't watch from their homes or offices. Um, The mayor pro tem, who's the, the mayor's second in command on council, came rushing into the chambers halfway through, obviously, after getting word of what was happening. So it was a very, um, very dramatic meeting, which is not the usual for, uh, for city council. Yeah, you're sort of painting the scene of how chaotic it was. I think a part of the heart of this is that McCaslin, the housing chief, had maybe a theory for why this one project was chosen over the other four projects. And that's in dispute. Would you walk us through that? Mm -hmm. The director actually didn't offer an explanation. He didn't offer an explanation for why the mayor was doing what he did. He just said in pretty stark terms that the mayor was bankrolling a certain developer at the detriment of Houston families that need affordable homes. And what we reported a couple hours after he went public or what Mike reported um, was that one of the developers on this deal is the longtime law partner of the mayor, um, a guy named Barry Barnes. Um, and another partner at his firm, Jermaine Thomas, they are both involved in this deal. The director said he did not know at the time, and the mayor has claimed he did not know until we reported it. Yeah, and it's a pretty new developer, right? Yeah, so the main developer is someone who's done tax credits um, you know, for, for years um, across the state and, and occasionally in Houston. The law partner that we're talking about here said he has no housing tax credit experience and wasn't on the contract for like legal services. There's a separate law firm um, on the on the contract for for that purpose. So they were just brought in to do their first housing tax credit development. Okay, would this be the first one? This would be their first project. And the company that they formed called Harbor Venture was was formed in late December um, of last year. Just just you know a couple days or a, a couple weeks before the first materials would have been needed to. Um, be submitted to the city and the state. One interesting detail that we haven't touched on is that this project that got funding, that the mayor selected for funding, <laughs> was ne- was never supposed to get the funding in the first place. Not only because it didn't score well when those 12 projects were submitted to the city for this new kind of smaller round of funding that it ultimately got, the city was never supposed to do that round of funding in the first place. That wasn't part of the plan. And this project, this project, when it submitted its paperwork to the state for the tax credit 
process, said, we're going to get $15 million from the city of Houston. Well, included in their application packet was a letter from the city of Houston saying, no, we don't have any plans to give you or anyone else any money. And so I think that's notable. They filed this paperwork saying they're going to get the money. The city says, as far as we're aware, you're not going to get the money. And then lo and behold, the city announces a new round of funding that wasn't originally planned. And they score eight out of 12, and then they still get the money. That's a pretty straightforward fact pattern that is uh, is notable, I think. Okay. It's a done deal, right? Not quite, actually. So the, the state has sort of preliminarily given them the tax credits conditioned on the fact that they will get this money from the city that um, is in is sort of the center of the dispute, $15 million in Hurricane Harvey affordable housing funds. And the city has announced that they're going to give those funds, but they have not been approved by council. And so council still needs to approve those funds and the state can pull back the tax credits if that does not happen. Okay. What's next? Or what happened next after this committee meeting? Yeah. So after the director went public, he sort of concluded his remarks by saying that he expected to get fired over his remarks. Um, And a few hours later, that did come to fruition. The mayor fired um, the housing director saying he lost confidence in him. Um, And then the mayor held an afternoon press conference where he um, sort of addressed the allegations and sought to defend himself against them. Um, Again, he said he did not know that his former law partner was involved in this deal. And he claimed that he was prioritizing this project over um, the four projects that staff recommended because it's in City Council District E, which is a relatively wealthy city council district um, that has not seen an affordable housing development in about um, six years. The city has tried in recent years to spread um, its affordable housing developments across the city and not concentrate them in um, the, the poorer communities where they're typically concentrated. So that was the mayor's the mayor's defense. Um, he then this week hinted that he would be releasing new information next week that would help explain or put in better context the former director's allegations. It's not really clear what that's going to be yet. Um, it's not clear if it will even address the allegations or just make new ones against the director. Um, that's sort of the next step of the story is figuring out what the mayor is going to say next week. We recorded this on Friday, October 1st. Are there any implications for this about affordable housing in the city? There could be fallout from this. The state and federal government both have oversight responsibilities over these Hurricane Harvey recovery funds. They are ultimately federal dollars that we got from Congress after the storm. If you don't follow federal rules in using the money, then there can be consequences. There can be financial consequences down the line, you get audited, you have to pay millions of dollars back. That, that's not uncommon. Uh, there are also you know, other financial risks. It, it's hard to quantify exactly, but the, the state office that oversees the federal funds for disaster recovery in Texas is the Texas General Land Office, currently run by George P. Bush. That's an elected position. The mayor and Commissioner Bush have been at odds the whole time in the Harvey recovery. It makes it would make a lot of sense if state officials took a hard line and, you know, did uh, as aggressive of enforcement as as is available to them. You know, that would be in keeping with the core relationship between the city and that agency the whole time. 
So yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say exactly what what options would be available to the state and federal officials overseeing these funds, but the, the city could be forced to take some action it doesn't want to take. I don't know if they could uh, take all the money away from them, but you know there are a number of interventions here that are possible, civil and criminal. Okay, so they'll be tracking the movement of their money to look for any wrongdoing, and they also do have the ability to enforce law. They haven't given any indication that they're looking to use that ability. Yeah, I mean, they they referenced using their investigative office, but their investigative office can do both things, and it's not clear to what extent, you know, either set of personnel have come to Houston to start looking at it. I think it's also worth noting that the director in his comments suggested that this was not an isolated incident. He did not identify other circumstances, but he referred to other cases in which he has been pressured by the administration to take unethical actions and sort of warned city council members to hold the mayor accountable. So the director is sort of alleging that this is sort of a pattern of behavior and not um, a one-off incident. So a lot's going to unfold over the upcoming weeks and months, I'm sure. Thanks for taking the time out of your really busy schedules to catch us up on what's going on. When we post this, we'll include links so that people can catch up. Godspeed, guys. Yeah, happy to help. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Before we go, just want to do a quick rundown of some other recent happenings. Nearly nine out of 10 flood insurance policies in Texas will have premiums increase in coming months. Currently, premiums don't come close to covering the expenses of the National Flood Insurance Program, which was meant to be self-supporting. The new risk rating is meant to be more accurate. It takes into account how much it will cost to replace a damaged property so that higher-value homes, like oceanfront mansions, will pay appropriate premiums. But given the numbers, it sounds like many homes that are not mansions will also see their premiums tick up. Not local, but just because I found this wild and thought you might be interested, voters in Berlin passed a referendum that called on the city to combat rising rents by seizing properties from major landlords. Those leading the campaign hope the city will seize 240,000 apartments and turn them into public housing, according to Reuters. And post-Houston, the abandoned post office turned food hall, concert venue, and more has set an opening date. November 13th. We've had Kirby Liu of the developer Levitt Commercial and Jason Long, a partner with the architecture firm OMA in New York, come on this podcast before to talk about the project. One of my favorite features so far is definitely the rooftop gardens with that view of downtown. Post Houston has also been announcing the restaurants that will be there on opening day. Can't say I'm super hip to restaurants, but I will share this reader's reaction to the announcement because he was very excited that a Brooklyn pizzeria, Roberta's, is coming to Houston. It reads, Roberta's! Three exclamation points. My head just exploded. World's best pizza dough. With all due respect to the good folks at Cultivare who are in that discussion. Can't wait. Thank you to our guests, Dylan McGinnis and Mike Morris, for taking the time to chat. If you ever want to send an idea for a podcast or just say hi, you can reach out on Facebook or Twitter. I'm at R.A. Schutz. That's R-A-S-C-H-U-E-T-Z. And on our show notes, if you go to HoustonChronicle.com slash looped in, we'll have links to all the news we just mentioned, including Dylan and Mike's coverage of the housing scandal and the stories on flood insurance and post-Houston. Thanks to our print editor, Rob Gavin. Thanks to Farrell Gibbs and his band, All the Kimonos, for their theme music. 
And thanks to Scott Kingsley for producing. Until next time.